Jimmy Himes has been down in Destin all week long covering what's going on with the SEC spring meetings, and uh, this is a big day. He joins us now. Jimmy, we appreciate the time. Uh, What can you tell us about the latest with the discussion on uh, alcohol sales at SEC stadiums and a potential vote coming today? Uh, They will have the uh, vote today. The the presidents and chancellors are meeting right now, uh, and um, it'll be, oh, within two hours probably when the commissioner comes out and tells us what the vote is. Uh, my belief is that they're going to pass it, and they're going to say this is an institutional decision. If you want to sell alcohol in non-premium areas, you will be allowed to do it. I think most schools will. Some may object, but I think most schools will do it. I expect that to pass, and in fact, I'll be surprised right now based on the number of people I've talked to off the record, of course, uh, who suggested to me that's the direction they'll go. Now, the presidents and chancellors could come in and surprise us. But I think the people I've talked to have already discussed it with their particular president or chancellor, uh, which is why I feel more confident now that they will pass that and allow institutions to determine whether to sell alcohol in non-premium seating areas for football and basketball. Jimmy, what sort of timeline do you even see this being, if it passes today, being feasible for uh, Tennessee games? It sounds like there's a lot of logistics involved. Um, you know, they, they've never even tested this with alcohol sales at concerts at Thompson Bowling Arena. I mean, is, is 2020 maybe a target that they would shoot for? It seems like it would be an awful quick turnaround to implement this this football season. I don't have a great answer for you on that. I think it's going to be immediate, though. Uh Florida already has a beer garden set up. Tennessee already sells beer in, in premium seating areas, including club seating areas. The, I think one of their issues is how to deal with the students, because not all students are 21 years old, right? So that could Absolutely. be one of the issues that they face. But I, I think that they, I think they feel like they might be able to go through it right away. They, and, and here's the thing: it may be that some schools like Florida, which already has the uh, beer garden, they may just say, "We're ready right now." Tennessee might say, "We need a year." So it could be incrementally implemented by schools depending on how ready they feel they are. Jimmy Himes is with us from the uh, SEC spring meetings down in Destin. What do you think has put it over the top if they do vote yes today? What has put them over the top to do that? uh, You know how coaches say it's not about the money, and it always is? (laughs) It's about the money. I think that's a part of it. I don't think it's the only factor. I do think they feel like they might be able to help attendance some. But as Greg Sankey, the commissioner, said, he doesn't think it's going to have a, an appreciable difference in attendance. He, he thinks there are a lot of factors in attendance, including winning, which I would agree with. Uh, but, uh, but, but I do think the revenue that you can derive, they're always looking for more revenue. They've never had as much money as they've got. But by golly, they're always looking for more. So I think that'll be part of it. The attendance will be a part of it. And, uh, and and making sure they can just get the fans in the stands because, uh, as we know, attendance has dropped off in many, many places. Actual attendance has dropped off in many places unless you're winning at a really high level. Has anybody discussed the potential negatives to selling alcohol uh, at these venues and during these games? Uh, yeah. Now, now, one of the things that's interesting, there are other schools that have been doing it for years, like West Virginia. And so there was a report from West Virginia that suggested that they had fewer incidents with people because they were selling beer, uh, because there were people binge drinking before they would go in. You know, they might knock down a six-pack and then go to the ball game, and they're drunk, and then issues start. Uh, this way they can pace themselves. We all know about pacing, don't we? Uh, this way they can pace themselves. And so I, I, that was one of the things that, that West Virginia said. They had fewer instances 
of, of uh, bad behavior with alcohol because of the lack of binge drinking. They did increase their revenues. And so there are case studies, West Virginia being number one that I know of, that have indicated that uh, one of the negatives about having a lot of drinking. Now, you can also look at some NFL stadiums, and, and, and in many of them where they sell beer or alcohol, uh, they cut it off in like the end of the third quarter. Uh, and, and then you run the, of course, you run the risk of that. You run the risk of some DUIs after games, right? If people aren't behaving themselves. So, uh, there are some negatives out there, and I'm sure that that'll be, that has been discussed. And I, actually, I think the negatives are a reason that they have not adopted this sooner. And, uh, and it's probably smart of them to sit back and watch others that have done it, like West Virginia, and see what the results are, not over one or two year period, but over at least a five year period. Yeah, Jimmy, I think just one of the things that nobody seems to tap into is, uh, you know, are, are we just – are we still going to keep the family atmosphere, I guess, for these sporting events? And I know that uh, language can already be a little harsh uh, in the heat of the moment uh, during these games, and you just wonder if that could be – if it could get worse or uh, potentially just, I guess, stay the same. It could contribute. Um, I do know that there have been, as we all know, there have been altercations at NFL games between fans, and you would think that some of that's related to alcohol, right? And obviously there's great passion in the SEC among teams that don't like each other. So you open the door for potentially that getting uh, worse than it already is. But then the other argument is you got all these people drinking before a game, and if they, uh, if they over-serve themselves before a game, they act even worse. During the course of a the game, they, they get started in the first quarter, not the second half. So, but yeah, I, I do think that possibility is there for them to open that up. No question. Himes with us, the uh, SEC spring meetings down in Destin. Uh, Jimmy, as, as you kind of wrap up the week, is there anything we haven't covered, or, or do you have big takeaways uh, from the last few days down there covering what's going on with the SEC? I will tell you a very interesting exercise that Steve Shaw had us do last night. And, and I've always been one that has argued that. You and I and Heather can sit in a room and watch a targeting call, and we may disagree. I've got my proof now. So here's what Steve Shaw did. He handed out 12 buzzers to the 12 members of the media, and he showed eight plays. And he said, I want you to click targeting or not targeting. And you know what? We never were unanimous. It was never 12-0. We had a 7-5 vote. We had multiple 8-4 votes because the opinion of what targeting was was different. Now, one study that he did I thought was really interesting. The last play he showed was the most difficult. I missed that one. I thought it was targeting that said it wasn't. They showed that to 14 sportscasters uh, at some conference recently. And of the sportscasters, they were 7-7 seven and seven on whether it was targeting or not. They showed it to 14 replay officials, and the vote was 14-0 targeting. So I thought that was a very interesting study. Uh, that is done. The reason, the, the one I missed was that there was such for, a forcible hit. I saw this guy's neck and head just snap back like whiplash. And while I wasn't 100% sure that the helmet hit the face mask and caused it, it looked like it. And they said, not targeting. And I said, well, why not? He said, because it might have been that he hit the guy at the shoulder pad, not in the face mask. And you don't know 100% sure that he hit the face mask. I said, yeah, but his neck snapped back. It doesn't matter. Did you see it hit the face mask? Well, I'm not sure. So I thought that was a very interesting study. Uh, that will continue to be debated. It will continue to be argued. Uh, we will sit there and watch it as fans and, and argue it. And, uh, and there's, there's just, it's, just, it's not an easy call to make is my point. 
but um, one of the things about it is there are three criteria involved in targeting, and if the targeting doesn't meet all three, then it's not targeting. So they're trying to be more careful. The other part of that uh, is that if you get called for three targeting calls in a season, you're suspended for the next game. So they've, they've added that element to it. Yeah, that'll continue to be a big talking point, I know, heading into the season, and there will continue to be disagreements as well back and forth uh, as we discuss it. Jimmy, before we let you go, anything else you do want to add as uh, your coverage continues from the SEC spring meetings? Well, we want to thank uh, the folks that helped make it possible. Rick McGill's Airport Toyota on the Airport Motor Mile for providing me with a van, and I was able to travel here down to Sandus to cover the meeting. A uh, fleet tire, uh, you, you uh, flat them, they'll fix them, uh, and hopefully they don't come into play on my return trip. Uh, and also uh, want, to, want to thank the folks uh, at UT Athletics for making that possible. Uh, we appreciate that. Have I told you all the uh, R.C. Sulcum story about recruiting Robert Pease? No. I heard it on Sports Talk, so you have to fill Josh in because it is awesome. R.C. Slocum thought he was going to get Robert Pease when R.C. Slocum was the head coach at Texas A&M and Pease was the star linebacker at Ruston. And it said, he said, I had him. He said there was no way I was going to lose him. But Philip Fulmer had an unfair advantage. I said, what was that? Slocum said, I had two sons, and he had a daughter. That's how I lost Robert Pete to Tennessee. I'd have got him at A&M if it hadn't been for Philip Fulmer's good-looking daughter. So, <laughs> so, so Fulmer walks by, and he said, no, 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 that's not true. The daughter came after we got him. We got him legally. That had nothing to do with it. So. <laughs> yeah, it makes sure you wonder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who was then recruiting then who in that table one? You might ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was a great story. Some recruiting stories are old, and that was kind of old, I guess, because yeah. it was many years ago. But it was still good. I, I just thought that was classic. And so R.C. Slocum was talking about that. It was really fun to hear him uh, discuss that. Yeah, that's good stuff. Hey, Jimmy, we appreciate you making time for us uh, each day this week as well. We'll uh, we'll have more from you as the day goes along, as it's the uh, final day at the SEC spring meetings. But thanks so much for taking all the time this week, and uh, great coverage as always. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Have a great day.